purpose today. We're going to talk about the bread of life, as we've been looking forward to this for a couple weeks now. The bread of life from John chapter 6. We're continuing our summer series called Summer Gospel Nuggets. And we're going to look at a very powerful passage today from John 6. Sort of a hard one to understand, if I'm going to be honest, but we're going to do our best to help us understand it. And we're just calling it the bread of life because that's really what it's talking about today. So follow us in John chapter 6. We'll get to the text here in a minute. Did you ever not understand something that someone said? For whatever reason. Maybe you were too young at the moment that some adult tried to explain something to you. I know I have problems with my children sometimes explaining what I mean, but did you ever not understand something that someone said? Well, I'm going to give you a little bit of an exercise today. And I'm going to give you several common phrases, several common sayings, but I'm going to say them with some fancy words, okay? And I want to see if you can translate these sayings into the common adage that we all know and love. All right, so who's up for a little quiz this morning? You guys up for this? And I'm just going to read them and see who can come up with the answer. Number one, dual transgressions don't spawn a virtue. Two wrongs don't make a right. Well done. Okay, we're on a good track here. Number two, a companion in urgency is a companion absolutely. Okay, I'm hearing it. A friend in need is a friend indeed. You guys are doing well. All right, they're going to get a little trickier as we go on here. Number three, it is more profitable to be guarded than guilt-ridden. Yes, better safe than sorry. Wow, we're in a groove now. Okay, that was a little bit more difficult. Here's number four. Don't lecture the sermon if you can't march the hike. <laughs> don't, do the, don't do the crime if you can't do the time. No, it's not what it means. Anyone else? What is it? Should I say it one more time? Don't lecture the sermon if you can't march the hike. Okay, right. It's, it's basically saying that. Don't talk the talk if you can't walk the walk. You guys have heard that one before, right? You got it. It's basically what it was saying. Number five. Considerably tremendous wits comprehend identically. Good job. Great minds think alike. Okay, you guys are sharp. Number six, expeditiousness generates rubbish. Good job, Tracy. Haste makes waste. You guys are quick. Number seven, if thou slumbers, thou squanders. If you snooze, you lose. Excellent. This one's a little bit more tricky. Estimate twofold, lacerate only on one occasion. Measure twice, cut once. You were right on the right track, Tracy. Measure twice, cut once. Number nine, wretchedness, excuse me, I'll start over. Wretchedness craves assemblage. Misery loves company. Misery loves company. Man, Tracy, <laughs> knocking it out of the park. Number 10, behavior pronounces more raucously than mere discussion alone. Behavior pronounces more raucously than mere discussion alone. Don't overthink it. These are common scenes. Are we finally tripped up? I'll give you one more time. Behavior pronounces more raucously than mere discussion alone. Actions speak louder than words. You guys together are quite the team, right? Number 11. Loveliness is in the oculus of the observer. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Number 12, on, a, on the occasion that it drizzles, it often deluges. The rains it pours. Integrity is the finest protocol. Honesty, the best Honest. What? 
I didn't even see you here. How you doing, buddy? Glad you're here. This is an old friend of mine. Daryl Jackson. Good to see you, buddy. Anyways, glad you're here. Yes, what was the answer to that one? Honesty is the best policy. Good job. Number 14, it is more preferred to be tardy than absent altogether. Better late than never. Okay, now they're getting difficult, okay? Now we're in the big leagues. Number, number 15, they're going to get a little silly and a little bit more difficult. A Granny Smith every 24 hours impedes the general practitioner from advancing through your front gate. That wasn't hard, right? You guys all got that one. Here's another one. While abroad in Italy's capital, thou shalt execute as the natives would be expected to. <laughs> when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Number 17, being absentee from one's betrothed often causes the affection to increase in devotion. Absence makes a heart grow fonder. Okay, this one might be my favorite one. Number 18, vagabonds should not be expected to be fuss budgets. Beggars can't be choosers. We got two more. Number, number 19, it is frowned upon to gnaw on the extremity of the one which bestows your provisions so faithfully. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. Well done. That was a little, little, little silly, that one. And here's the last one. It is ill-advised to number one's fowl prematurely prior to their entrance into the world. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. See, all together, we're 100%. We got them all, right? You guys could get that. So these are a little bit hard to understand, but they're common phrases and adages that we all know. And that's kind of where we're going today is we're going to look at something that at least to the people experiencing it, it was a little bit hard to understand. But we're going to do our best today to look at the bread of life. And if you're there in your Bibles, John 6, 22 to 71 is going to be our text. And I know that's a really lengthy passage. But we're going to move rather quickly because it's really one message through the entire thing. I'm going to give you our three goals today before we look at the text. Our three goals today from John chapter 6. Number one is this. To be able to see beyond the physical realm and to desire something greater than physical blessings, to desire the bread of life. That is our first goal. That is our primary goal. That is the big one, to see beyond the physical realm and to desire the bread of life. Number two goal, once we desire the bread of life, to nourish ourselves with him every single day until the end. In other words, to always, always eat of Jesus. That's goal number two, and we will explain that. Goal number three, to obey him out of a desire to love him for all that he does and is to us. To obey him out of a desire to love him for all that he is and does for us. That is our three goals today. That's what we're hoping to gain here from the text. What I'm going to do, instead of reading the entire text in one big lump sum, I'm going to read a section, and then we're going to pause and explain it, okay? Because this is a really long section, and I feel the best way to understand what's happening here is to do it this way. So I'm going to read a few verses, and then we're going to explain what's going on, okay? So follow me there in John chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 22. It says, On the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. Now what we have here is basically a crowd, a group of people that are desperately seeking Jesus. 
It's interesting. They're, they're trying to find where Jesus went. He left the area. They want to find him. So they're desperately looking around for where Jesus is. But what's interesting about this passage right from the beginning is that the crowd that is desperately seeking Jesus are the same people that had been there only yesterday when Jesus miraculously fed the 5,000 people. If you guys remember that story with five small loaves and two fish. You remember that, right? Jesus miraculously fed 5,000 people. In fact, a lot of people think it was closer to 15,000 people because it says 5,000 men, not including the women and children. So Jesus fed a huge sum of people with one boy's small lunch. And these are the people that had been there. So these are the people that are desperately seeking to find Jesus. Only yesterday, Jesus had fed them full, satisfied. In fact, there was so much food left over, they filled 12 baskets full. It was a miracle. Jesus did a miracle before these people's eyes, and now these people are trying to track him down. Maybe you guys have ever been to a baseball game or been to Hollywood or something like that and tried to find a famous person. Uh, Haddon and I went to a baseball game the other day with my dad, and uh, Aaron Judge, I don't know if you know who that is, but he's a big-time Yankee pro ball player. He was actually in Scranton because he was doing a little bit of rehab from, uh, from an injury he was coming back from. And so Aaron Judge came to Scranton, and Aaron Judge is a big-time pro all-star player. And so we went to that game, and Haddon had the great hopes that he was going to be able to track Aaron Judge down and get his autograph. And he got very, very close. He got one foot within Aaron Judge. He was yelling his name loud. <laughs> Aaron Judge definitely heard my son, but Aaron Judge could only sign a fraction of autographs that day and Haddon was left out in the cold, unfortunately. But that's kind of what we're dealing with here. We have a crowd of people desperately trying to find the famous person because Jesus by this time is famous. He's done a lot of countless miracles and wonders before the people. And these people that are trying to find him are the ones that were there for the feeding of the 5,000. They were so satisfied and nourished by the meal, I believe, that they are desiring to gain even more physical blessings from Jesus. Hey, that was cool, Jesus. Hey, that was great. Hey, we were satisfied. We should be around him again in case he wants to do something like that again. I want to be there. So they're tracking Jesus down. They're clearly equating Jesus with giver of physical blessings. We want to be around Jesus. He's famous. Look what he did for us yesterday. He gave us a lot of food. It satisfied us. And now Jesus is somewhere in the area. We're going to go find him. And the people are desperately trying to figure out where he is. Because really, in their minds, Jesus equals food. Right? I mean, they just fed, uh, he just fed 5,000 to 10,000 to 15,000 people, satisfied, stuffed, filled. I hope that's kind of the experience you have after a luncheon. You're stuffed, you're filled, you're satisfied. And that's really what these people are thinking in their minds, is if we find Jesus, maybe we find some good food again. So they are following Jesus. These people are following Jesus. But it's not really for the right reasons. Really, at its core, it's sort of greed. They want more stuff. Okay? And that kind of sets the stage for where this passage is going to go. These people are seeking Jesus, are trying to find Jesus, but not really for the right reasons. Let's go to verse 25. It says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, but not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. We find pretty easily here that Jesus is not touched by their zeal to follow him because he sees right through these people. They do want to follow him, but it's not for the right reasons. They aren't seeking Jesus because they believed in who he is based on the miracle that they just saw. They're not going 
clearly this man is of God and we should follow him. That's not really the thought that's in their mind. Hey, look what Jesus did. He's clearly of God. We should lay our lives down for him. That's not what they're thinking. They're not saying, let's follow him, let's lay our lives down for him, let's believe in him. They simply want Jesus to give them more physical blessings. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound kind of like where we are today, a lot of people? They want God in their lives. They want to even follow Jesus. We have this thing called an earthly prosperity gospel that is gaining a lot of traction, where we kind of see God and Jesus as this big genie in the sky. Whatever we want, we just sort of rub the bottle and God pops out and we just tell him what we want. That's kind of what's going on back then, even in the day. This prosperity gospel that's floating around is not a new thing. It's sort of what people want anyway, so when they see something from God that is good, they sort of latch on to this, that God is the giver of physical blessings. God is just here to bless us. And it's an easy concept to get a hold of. So perhaps what was going on is they were seeing Jesus as their servant or butler, or whatever term you want to use, instead of their Lord. Maybe everything was upside down. Jesus satisfied us. He gave us bread. He filled us. So therefore, maybe Jesus is our servant. Really, they have the entire understanding upside down. And I wonder if that's kind of what we're dealing with here today, maybe even in our own souls to some degrees. We have a wrong idea of what God is here for us to do. Or God is here for us, excuse me. Let's look at verse 27. The story continues. Jesus says this, he says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Jesus now is going to go a little deeper here. He's going to try to help the people take their thoughts and their desires higher than where they currently are. He wants them to strive after something greater than physical blessings. Physical blessings is not the greatest thing. There is something greater. So Jesus, you can tell, he does love the people. He's not annoyed. He's not trying to get, get away from them. He is wanting them to desire something better than what they currently desire. They just want bread. They want food. They want blessings. They want stuff. And so Jesus has higher ways, higher thoughts, higher cravings for these people than they have for themselves. We know there's something greater than physical blessings, right? We all know that. I hope you know that if you're here. There's something greater than God giving you a good life on this earth. Do you believe that? Do you know that? Is it wrong to want a good, comfortable life? No, not necessarily. But there's something greater. If you watch and look at Jesus' life, he says this kind of thing over and over and over. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That doesn't sound like he's here to make us prosperous and comfortable and rich. It looks like he's saying, I have something better for you, but it's not yet. So these people were stopping short of true blessings. They were looking at only the food, saying, that's what we want. We want more of that, please. Their desires were too shallow. Their desires were too immature. They needed things that mattered into eternity, not just pertaining to this life alone. And Jesus, according to verse 27, says there is a food that we should care about. There is a food. And we're going to represent that today by our luncheon. There is a food that we should care about. But it's not the food of the physical realm. Not primarily. The food that you and I should care about is the food that is going to bless us forevermore. 
And there is a food that will bless us forevermore, a food that grants us eternal life. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And Jesus said that that is the food that we should be striving after. We should be striving after food. We should be striving after blessings, but not the stuff of the physical world because it's not good enough. It's not deep enough. It's not helpful enough. So we should not be chasing food or anything, put anything in there, anything physical that satisfies only temporarily because Jesus would say that's too shallow. It's not deep. It's not profound. It's not helpful for your eternal soul. And that's why Jesus is here. And I want you to sort of think about this illustration as we go forward of a parent and a child, right? And we'll bring this back up. But children have desires that they want met from their parents. I, I see it every single day of my life. So does my wife. They want dad and mom to give them things and grant them things and make them happy. But mom and dad have higher purposes, don't they? Higher purposes even for those children than what those children want. And that's really what we're dealing with here. Jesus has higher thoughts, higher ways, higher desires, and he's trying to get his people to wrap their minds around this as well. This is the first time that Jesus refers to himself as eternal food. He tells those following him that God has set his seal on him. God has set his seal on him. This means that Jesus is the eternal bread of life because God said so. God declared it. My son is the bread of life. And it also means there is no other bread of life. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the only bread of life that we need. So the people didn't need bread. What they needed was the bread. Is it starting to make sense? They needed the source of life. They didn't need one meal. They didn't need several meals. What they needed was something greater than that. They needed, to not, they needed to not be nourished by Jesus physically only. They needed to be nourished spiritually. Because if you're nourished only physically, does that change things according to your life? It doesn't really. You don't live longer. You don't live happier. You live temporarily happier. But it doesn't deal with your eternal life. And God made it in regards to our souls. And we're going to find that here, that it's Jesus or die. If we don't eat and have the bread of life, we will most certainly die. We need nourishment that is going to be helpful for our eternal souls. And guys, this is the great part of this story. Jesus came to this earth to give us that bread. This is not the carrot hanging over the donkey that the donkey never gets and has to chase. Jesus came to give us that bread. He wants the bread of life for our souls. Our challenge is to not stop short at the bread only and say, God, I only want physical blessings. I only want a prosperous, comfortable life. No, but something greater that Jesus has for us. The story continues in verse 28. The people said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in whom he has sent so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. The question is good enough from the people. It is. It's a good question. They asked, what should we be doing to do the works of God? Isn't that a good question? That's a good question. 
Lord, teach us what should we be doing to do the works of God? And Jesus has a very, very simple answer to that question. He says, believe in me. Believe in me. Believe in what I am. Believe in what I've said about myself. Believe in what I came here to do. Believe in what I'm here to offer your souls. That is the work you need. You need to believe in me as your Lord, as your Savior, and believe what I'm teaching today. It's going to be hard. Even for us today, this passage might be a little difficult. But we have to believe it because it comes from Jesus. And Jesus came from God. So he says to believe in Jesus is the work that you need. If you can believe in Jesus, you can live forever. Isn't that the, the basis of Christianity, the foundation of Christianity right there? If you believe in Jesus, you can live forever. That's exactly why Jesus came to this earth. But it's interesting that at this point, even though most of the people only yesterday had experienced a miracle of taking five small loaves and two fish and feeding five to 15,000 people with it, they're still demanding that they see a sign. Hey, guys. My family's here, so it's awkward if I don't say something. The rest of my family. But here we are in these people, and these people are listening to what Jesus is saying and going, okay, Jesus, we understand you're the bread of life. That's what you're telling us. What sign, what wonder are you going to do before us so that you can validate the fact? Well, there's two problems with this. Only yesterday, he had done such a sign. He had taken a small boy's lunch and broke it up and broke it up and broke it up and broke it up and broke it up, broke it up until five to 15,000 people were stuffed. And there was so much food left over, they filled 12 baskets full. And these people were there. These people had experienced that miracle. But now they're asking for the sign. And the second problem with the sign is I still believe they want something physical. I don't really think they want a sign because they want to believe. I think they want a sign because, hey, a sign will represent more stuff. If we ask Jesus for a sign, who knows what he'll do? Maybe bring more food, maybe give us a bigger house, maybe cure more of our sick. He'll do something great. So they're demanding that Jesus give them a sign. And they, I believe they see this as a golden opportunity to get more physical blessings from Jesus. They wanted something similar, according to the text, to receiving manna dropped from the sky like their forefathers experienced. Do you guys remember that story? In the Old Testament, where the Israelites get into the wilderness, they're past the Red Sea at this moment. God had miraculously, miraculously separated the Red Sea, allowed them to cross on dry land, and now they get into the wilderness and they start to grumble and complain because now they're hungry and they believe that God is going to abandon them, abandon them right there in the wilderness. So what does God do? In one situation, he drops this thing called manna from the sky, and a lot of people believe that to be some sort of bread. Manna starts falling from the sky and provides for these people, for their hunger. And so the people here in this day are hoping for something similar, saying, listen, Jesus, you got to do a sign and a wonder so that we believe. Remember what our forefathers experienced with the manna? Could we get something similar to that? And once again, they're only thinking of attaining physical blessings. They couldn't get beyond it. It's almost like they couldn't get beyond just wanting the physical stuff. They didn't care that Jesus was already validated. He had been validated only yesterday by the miracle of feeding 5,000 people. And they didn't care that he was validated numerous times before their eyes. This was not the first miracle Jesus had done. Jesus had healed countless people. Jesus had done countless miracles. Jesus had already been validated, and yet these people want validation. They want to see some sort of sign. And I believe it's because they want more stuff.
But Jesus tried to, again, improve their thinking and logic beyond just a physical understanding. And he tells them that Moses was not the giver of the bread of life. That's not even what the story was about. Manna fell from the sky, but that was not the bread. That was not the bread of life. Moses did not give them the bread of life. Manna is what was provided. And Jesus saying to them today, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. You're looking for something smaller, a shallow, a cheaper version of what's standing right in front of you. I am the bread of life. The manna did not originate from heaven. Jesus originated from heaven. And even though the manna was a blessing from God, their fathers ate the manna and they still died. They were satisfied with the manna and they still died in the wilderness. But these people believe that's what they want. They want manna from the sky. They want another physical meal. And Jesus is saying, listen, I've come to give life to your soul. I've come to give life to your soul. I've come to sustain you forever. Isn't that better than one meal? Jesus is the true bread of life from heaven. The people needed to see something more than their forefathers experienced. They didn't need temporal, physical food. Not primarily. We all need food. We're all going to eat food today. But that is not our primary need. What they and what we needed was to never hunger and thirst again. Right? You don't just need one meal. I mean, you've heard the old adage, right? If you give someone a fish, you feed them for a meal. If you teach them how to fish, you feed them for a lifetime. That's why Jesus came. So that we're never hungry and thirsty again. If we nourish ourselves with him and his teachings and his words and his work on the cross, we will never hunger. We will never thirst again. And that was the people's greatest need. And Jesus knew it. He knew that was their greatest need. They needed to have life forevermore. And the author of all of that was directly in front of them. And he was willing to give it to them. Isn't that great? He was right there, right in front of these people's eyes. And he's saying, I've come to give you the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And I want you to have it. In fact, I would even say Jesus is pining to give it to them. And to us. He wants them to have something greater than just bread. Just a meal. Something beyond. Something eternal. In verse 35, the story continues. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Isn't that greater? Verse 36, But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus told them that the greatest blessing that God ever gave man, that he ever gave man, was standing directly in front of them. If they ate of Jesus, they would never hunger and thirst again. And he wanted them to see that. He wanted them to believe that. Ironically, these people wanted to be satisfied. They wanted to be satisfied. And Jesus is the one trying to satisfy them. But they want the shallow blessings only. Think about that. He wants us to be eternally satisfied and filled. Now, that's a good thing for one meal, right? If you've ever been filled and stuffed by a meal and you feel good, not that bad stuff where you feel like you ate too much. 
But the feeling that, yes, I'm full, I'm satisfied. Imagine having that feeling forever. And you can by believing in Jesus. In fact, that's exactly why he came. That's exactly what Jesus offers. He was trying to tell them that he offers true, eternal satisfaction beyond just physical life. Physical life is a good thing. It is a good thing. And no one is knocking that down today. But physical life represents there's something greater than this even. Isn't there something in each one of us that longs for something better than what this life can offer? Isn't that true? Isn't there something in your soul that says this can't be it? This can't be all there is. There has to be something greater than that. And that's exactly why Jesus came, to fill that void. So, do we want Jesus for what Jesus offers? Or do we only want what we believe he should offer? That is a different question. If we want what Jesus offers, he wants deep, profound, spiritual things for our soul. But if we want only what we believe he should offer, that could be a very different list. Most of these people could not see Jesus as the bread of life. They couldn't look beyond the physical. But he said, bread, I shut down. I'm only thinking about bread now. That's all I want is bread. God dropped bread from the sky and we're going to be happy. And Jesus is like, no, you need something greater than that. But the people still preferred tangible, physical blessings instead of the fountain of all eternal blessings. It's sad, isn't it? That's a sad part of the story. They wanted the physical, tangible blessings instead of the fountain of all eternal blessings. Is that revealing? Is that revealing even of some of us, even of the day and age that we live in? That we want just the stuff from God. We want our life to be a little smoother, a little richer, a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more prosperous. But we're not really concerned with the things Jesus has to teach us. We're not really that concerned with the will of God. Are we only in this relationship with Christ for what he can give us on the earth? Is that why we're in this relationship? But if God doesn't meet our standards according to our physical demands, then we're not really into him anymore either. This could be a revealing story for what's going on in many of our hearts today. And I don't mean necessarily the people here, but the people in our day and age. Jesus started to explain an important doctrinal, doctrinal truth to them. He says, whoever believes in Jesus was already given to Jesus by the Father. And the fact that God is the author of our life means that Jesus will never cast his people away. Isn't that a wonderful truth to know? That if you really belong to Jesus, he will never cast you away. He came to this earth to get you, to sustain you, to keep you, to love you forever. And it's the will of God that we find out that Jesus will never cast his people away. He came here to bring us into God's eternal kingdom on the last day. That's why he came. That's why even now his message continues to resound. Because Jesus wants us in his kingdom forever. He's not trying to take away physical blessings. That's not the point of the story. He's not trying to make your life worse on this side of the earth. He's trying to make your eternal soul that much better and richer. So God's will was for Jesus, was for him to keep us, to secure us, to keep us until the kingdom was established. And aren't we grateful that Jesus keeps us secure? Beyond just nourishing our souls every day, Jesus secures us for all of eternity. Why wouldn't we want to give Jesus our all? Who can match Jesus? Honestly, think about it. Who can match him? What can match him? You ever had a great meal? Does it match Jesus? 
You have had a great relationship. Does that relationship top the relationship you can have with the Lord Jesus Christ? Does anything? If you put anything good next to Jesus, doesn't that thing pale in comparison to the Lord? And that's really what Jesus is trying to draw out today. Do you and I really want earthly wealth, health, comfort, and prosperity instead of eternal life? If that was the option today, you could have earthly wealth, health, comfort, and prosperity, but you would forfeit eternal life. Does anybody make that trade? Does anybody give up eternal life for just a little bit smoother and richer here on the earth? If you have your right wits, no, of course you do not. You would much rather have eternal life. Think about it. Now and gone versus now, later, and forever. The two don't match, do they? We would much rather have what Jesus actually came to offer us. And we need to consider that today. Jesus' words and teachings are so much better than anything this world offers. And I know that's easy for a pastor to say, but I want you to consider it. Is what Jesus came to offer us better than anything you can find in the world? It is. It's so much better. The bread of life beats any sort of physical blessing. Verse 41. The Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. The Jews in the audience, again, could not believe what they were hearing. Jesus had just claimed to be the bread of life that came down from heaven. And so the Jews, again, thinking only about the physical realm, used Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, and Jesus' upbringing to disregard the countless validations that he had to be the Son of God. Because Jesus, by this point, had done miracle after miracle, wonder after wonder, giving sight to the blind, healing the lepers, making the lame walk. But the Jews can't wrap their minds around this today, so they're saying, listen, he came from Joseph and Mary. We know his parents. We know his upbringing. How could he possibly have come from heaven? You know what they're trying to do is they're trying to use physical logic to wrap around spiritual wonders. It's never going to work. It's never going to work. You can't take physical logic and explain spiritual wonders. So they said there's no way Jesus could be sent from God because he had earthly parents. And we know them, Joseph and Mary, son of a carpenter. They're trying and failing to explain away spiritual wonders with physical logic. Because what about the countless miracles and wonders Jesus had done? What about them? How do you answer that? How do you answer even the feeding of the 5,000? How did he do that? How did he do it? Well, he had earthly parents, so he couldn't have come from heaven. Then how did he feed 5,000 people with five small loaves and two fish? How did he do it? If you can see spiritually, you come to the understanding he's from God. There's no other way. And Jesus was validated time after time, miracle after miracle. If only we would listen. If only we would use our eyes. But Jesus' answer to them is simple. He says it basically, it makes sense why you think this way. Because God has not yet revealed the truth to you. 
Because if you understand the truth, you understand who Jesus is, and you also understand that no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. Because the physical cannot go to the spiritual unless the spiritual brings them. What are we supposed to do? Climb to heaven? Fly to heaven? What are we supposed to do with our sins? How are we supposed to get a relationship with God? How am I even supposed to know there is a God? Most of the people in the science classes in our culture are teaching this thing called evolution. We can't use physical logic to explain spiritual wonders. Jesus has to come to us first, and he has to open our eyes. And as soon as he does that, we go, duh, now I get it. Now I see. But before Jesus does that, none of us can see. We're all blind. We all stay blind. We all consider that this is all there is. And I just want Jesus to bless this world more. But this doctrine is truth. God must open our eyes to the truth before we can see the reality of Jesus. And I know for several of you in this room, you have seen Jesus with your spiritual eyes. If Jesus is made manifest to someone's soul by God's bidding, they do come. They do follow Jesus. And if not, they, re they remain blind, and they can't perceive anything beyond the physical world. And really, the Jews were representing that. What? You're the bread of life that came down from heaven. You can't be because of Joseph and Mary. So the, Drew the Jews were grumbling about who Jesus was, and they were representing they were still spiritually blind. Because spiritual blindness causes us to reject Jesus. We can't imagine that there's anything beyond this world. We can't imagine that there's a God who would love us, who would send his son to die for us. We can't imagine that God's will would be anything that I would, would be better than anything that I would desire here upon the earth unless God opens our eyes to the truth. And there are a lot of people on this earth that accept Jesus to gain more stuff. It's just the truth. I want Jesus. I want to follow Jesus because I want my life to get better here on the earth. But it's not because they want to follow him. It's not because they understand that he is the Lord. It's not because they understand that God's will is the best thing for us. But I hope you're one of those people today that can say, yes, that's the best thing. Jesus, what he's speaking here is truth. Let's go to verse 47. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give you for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus reiterated that simple belief is what changes the nature of the soul. If you believe in Jesus, that changes your soul completely. You are a brand new person. You have new spiritual eyes. You can understand the things of God all because you believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus today, if you believe he's the son of God, if you believe Jesus is the Messiah, the savior of the world, guess what? You're alive today. Because that's what, that's what it takes to be alive. And if you do believe in Jesus, then you will live by his words because his words are bread for your soul. And you want bread for your soul when you understand that Jesus is who he is. And if you don't want Jesus' words, if you don't want to live by his words, if you don't want the will of God, it's very possible you don't believe either. Because there is another version of belief that causes us to only want Jesus to make our life a little richer, a little smoother. The soul that cannot see Jesus for what he is remains dead and hopeless, but the soul that can see Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life has eternal life coursing through their spiritual veins. 
So Jesus contrasts this thing that they keep bringing up called the manna that the Israelites ate in the wilderness. And he says, listen, they ate the manna. It satisfied them for a moment. It passed through their system and they died anyways. It's just a reality. The manna did not save their souls. The manna did not cause them to never hunger and thirst again. They ate the manna. They were satisfied. It passed through their system and they died. But those who nourish themselves with Jesus and his bread will always be satisfied. Those who nourish themselves with Jesus will never die. Think about that. What is it you want? What is it that we want today? One meal, one blessing from God, or to never die? To always be satisfied. Jesus, again, wants better things for them than physical blessings. And he still wants that for us today. He wants better stuff than what the world can provide. You think that the world has the best stuff. We're wrong. Jesus has much better stuff. Spiritual things that last forever because his treasures don't fade. His treasures cannot be stolen. His treasures do never deteriorate. But the physical stuff deteriorates all the time. As soon as you get it, it depreciates. Jesus says, the source of this nourishment is my flesh. And remember at the beginning where I said there's hard things to understand. This is really where it's the crux of the passage. Because Jesus says, this nourishment that you need is my flesh. And this had so many people confused and frustrated. But you have to remember, Jesus is speaking on an entirely different realm, the spiritual realm. As soon as you hear the word flesh, you go immediately to his body, his physical body. But Jesus is saying it's something greater than that. He said, my flesh is our bread. Your bread of life is my flesh. He was, he was referencing his coming death and sacrifice on the cross. The flesh would represent something. It would represent our, represent our salvation. It would resent, represent, excuse me, our payment to God for our sins. And Jesus is saying, that's what you need. That right there is what you need. Those who believe in that sacrifice and base their health of their souls upon it will never hunger again, will never thirst again. Meaning the bread of life is better than earthly bread because it pertains to living forever. Right? Isn't that why we love the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus? Not because it makes our life better on the earth. Oftentimes it doesn't. But it gives peace to the soul. It gives hope to the soul. It gives joy to the soul. It gives security to the soul. It allows us to sleep at night. It allows us to have peace in the midst of trials. That's why we want the bread of life. Um, I told you I have young children. I was going to bring them up as an illustration. My children, you could guess what they want to eat every single day of their lives. Some, someone shout it out. What do they want to eat every single day? There it is. Boom. Done. <laughs> okay. Candy. Chips. Ice cream. You know, the list is a little bit deeper than that, I would say, but it's, that's kind of where it ends. Every single day, my, my children say, you know, Dad, can I have more chips? Can I have more candy? Can I have more ice cream? And me as their parent, I, it's not those things are bad and I don't want to have them, you know, have those things at certain times in my life. But as a parent, as a dad, and, and my wife as a mom, we want better food for them, don't we? We want things that actually nourish their bodies. Vegetables and meat and the things that have nutrients in it. And so we're trying to help our children understand that the candy is not the best food there is. It might make you happiest at the moment, but there's actually food that will give you energy and strength and will help your body grow and be strong and that's kind of a representation for what Jesus is trying to help these people with. Physical food isn't wrong. It's good. It comes from God. 
It will help your body. But there's something better. There's something I've come to give you for your soul. And guess what? Your soul lives beyond your body, doesn't it? Your body will not be here forever. All of us are aging. I don't care how young we are. We're all aging. And we're all headed closer to the grave. So what is the best thing God could give us? One more richer, smoother day upon the planet? Or bread for our soul? And he's trying to help the Jews understand this. In verse 52, the Jews are all in a tizzy. It says in verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Think about what they're asking. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food. And my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. The Jews are again still unable to think past the physical realm. They get stuck on the phrase, Eat my flesh. As some people would, right? You hear someone say, you got to eat my flesh. I would go, wait a minute. Let's think about this. But they can't get past the physical realm. And Jesus, by this point, is not speaking about the physical realm. He's speaking about spiritual things. And those of us with spiritual eyes, we can understand what Jesus is talking about today. He's not referring to cannibalism at all. He's talking about nourishing our souls with the truth of his sacrifice and his teachings. But the Jews who didn't have the eyes to see that going, what? He wants to eat his flesh and drink his blood? Gross. Who is this guy? And Jesus is saying, listen, this is a hard thing to understand for those who do not have spiritual eyes. But for my people, they will get it. It's because Jesus had an opportunity at this moment. When he sees the confusion, he has an opportunity to slow things down and explain it in a different way, doesn't he? He could use different words, and he doesn't. He doesn't. Upon the confusion, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He reiterates exactly what was already stated. Now, does that help the people who are still blind? No, it doesn't. But he is speaking to his people today, saying, Listen to me. I've come here to give you better things than physical blessings. I've come to give you my teachings and my sacrifice. And if you will listen to these things, if you will abide by these things, you will live forever. You will live forever, and you need to nourish yourself on these things every single day of your lives. So Jesus doesn't change his language. He doesn't dumb it down for those who were confused. He simply sticks to his guns and says, Eat my flesh and drink my blood, and you will live forever. Those of us who live by Jesus' words and sacrifice are certainly the heirs of the kingdom of God. We are. Abiding in Jesus is described in this passage as eating and drinking of him. And it sounds, again, like that's something we have to do every single day of our lives. Do you eat every single day of your life, or most of them? You do, don't you? We don't take a lot of days off from eating. I don't. I don't take a lot of days off from drinking. In fact, I'm not sure I've ever taken one day off from drinking. But imagine, if we understand this today, how much we should nourish ourselves with Jesus for our soul. If the physical life is important to eat and drink, and we do because we know that, how much more is it to nourish our souls 
with the things of Jesus. Consider not eating in the physical realm, similar to how sometimes we go days and weeks without eating from Jesus. In Michigan, my family knew a young man who was struggling with that way. He was struggling to eat physically. He had a, a broken mind. His mind was telling him wrong messages, and so he thought that food was bad. And so he wasn't eating physically, and he, become, he became very malnourished. He started to have a lot of physical problems. And we were trying to help this young man understand that eating is good. It's here to help your body. But this man struggled that way, and he would go days and weeks without eating. And that's a representation, unfortunately, of how some of us treat the things of Jesus. We go days and weeks without eating from Jesus because we don't believe it's that important. Is it that important? Is it that important to eat of Jesus, to be nourished by Jesus every single day? It's a rhetorical question, but the answer is yes. How much worse is it to be malnourished spiritually? And even though most of us are physically nourished, are we spiritually malnourished today? Has it been a while since we've been with the Lord? Has it been a while since we've listened to his teachings? Has it been a while since we've been near him in prayer? Has it been a while since we said to the Lord, Lord, you're all I need. Teach me, guide me. Once again, the bread of life is not physical bread. And it's not like the manna that fell from the sky. It's so much better because the manna did not help the people live forever. But those who feed on Jesus will indeed live forever. Is there anything better than that? Because the bread of life is that nourishing. The bread of life is that profound for our soul. Jesus is eternal life for all those who eat of him. And you know that today if you're a Christian. You give all credit and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ for your soul. Moving quickly to the next couple passages. Verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said this, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Many of Jesus' disciples here sadly are proving themselves to not be his true disciples because they cannot wrap their minds around what Jesus is saying. They cannot get there. They cannot get beyond the physical. And what they're proving, unfortunately, is that they aren't his true disciples because his true disciples can go beyond the physical, can understand the things of spiritual nature, things, and go, oh, I get it. I see where he's going now. He's not talking about bread any longer. He's talking about things for our soul. And they, like a lot of people today, assume that because they were amongst Jesus, they saw Jesus, they heard his teachings, that they must have belonged to him. But we don't have a crowd mentality with the gospel, do we? We have to have a personal, intimate relationship with the Lord. And Jesus replies by saying, listen, if you take offense at this, then what would you do if you saw me ascend back to heaven one day like I'm going to? After the resurrection, I'm going to ascend back to heaven where I came from. How would you explain that with physical eyes? How would you explain that with physical logic? I just saw a man go back up to heaven. If you don't have spiritual eyes, what do you do with that? 
You could try to rationalize it away and go, man, I, I ate something weird. I, I just saw something miraculous, but it couldn't be. It couldn't be so. And Jesus says, I'm going to ascend back to heaven one day. I'm going to go back to my Father. And if you're in Christ, you'll understand that that's where I go. That's where I belong. That's where I'm from. That's where my home is. And that's where I should go back. But if you don't, you won't understand it. So they, too, would balk at the, the ascension of Christ because they could not imagine anything beyond what their physical eyes and ears would allow them to believe. And are we able to see spiritually today? Are we able to see spiritually? Jesus stated that seeing the spiritual cannot be done with physical means. He said the flesh is of no use. The flesh is of no use at all to understanding the things of the spiritual world. I've never physically seen Jesus I've never physically seen Jesus, but I see him every day of my life, and I hope you do too, because I have spiritual eyes. If we're depending upon our five senses to make sense of spiritual truths, we're never going to get there. We need spiritual eyes, spiritual ears, a spiritual mind, a spiritual heart, and that's why Christ came to give us the Holy Spirit, because without the Holy Spirit, we will fall short of this understanding. We just will. If our understanding is not there about these things, then neither is our life. If we don't understand the things of Christ, we don't have life with Christ either. And maybe the thing we need to do today is to consider, do we really have a relationship with Jesus? If I can't understand these things, if I can't appreciate these things, if I don't love the will of God more than anything, is it possible that I don't have the life Jesus came to give? Because that's why Jesus was here. For those who didn't have it, they could come and get it. Are there any in this room who, is that, who that is true about today? If you don't have spiritual life, do you need to come and get it today? The fact that some couldn't believe was validation for what Jesus was saying, that they're not his true disciples, because his true disciples could receive this truth and base their souls upon it. And unfortunately, in our day and age, there are false disciples all around us. Those who cannot or will not live by the words of Jesus. And those who only consider things in the physical realm cannot be born of the Spirit of God. This proves that spiritual life cannot be born by anything less than God himself. Physical cannot beget physical. Excuse me, spiritual. Physical cannot beget spiritual. Only spiritual can beget spiritual. So who gets the credit and the glory for our salvation? Isn't it the Lord? Did I find him? No, he found me. Did I search him out? No, he searched me out. Did I save myself? No, he saved me and he saved you. If we want life and we want to understand the things of God and we want to eat of Jesus, we must go to the only one who can help us and that is God himself. God is here to help us receive and understand and believe this today. We have to seek him until we find that understanding. Let's go to the last passage here quickly. Verse 66. This is what I'm going to call a bad news, good news, bad news story. The last part here, it said at, at verse 66, After this, hearing everything that Jesus said, many of his disciples, and I want you to think about that in quotations, turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go, as way, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray Jesus. 
This text, what Jesus is saying today, is so polarizing that even those at the beginning who are desperately seeking to try to get near Jesus are now abandoning him altogether. Simply because of what Jesus said. Simply because they couldn't understand it. Because they couldn't see beyond the physical. And that's sad. That's a sad part of the story. And it may, it may sound like that was a loss to the cause of Christ that day. But all Jesus did was shake off the false disciples. They weren't there for him anyways. They were there for stuff. They were there for more physical blessings. And that's not the end of the story. Because he turns and says to his 11 true disciples at that moment, Do you want to go as well? Peter? James, John, do you guys want to abandon me as well? Is this it for you? Is this where the line is drawn? Can you not get beyond the physical? And this is where Peter chimes in and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else can we go and find the words of eternal life? Where else can we go and find the things that you offer? The, quite, the answer is we can go nowhere else. There is no one else. You are the Lord. You are the Savior. You are the one that came to redeem our souls. I don't have a relationship with God apart from you. Where else can I go? Isn't that a sweet part of the story? The 11 stayed true and said, no, you're exactly what we need, Jesus. If Jesus' words are hard for us to grasp, or he wants different and better stuff for us than we want, the question is, will we still continue with Jesus? If something Jesus says seems hard, or not what we want to hear, or he wants different things for us, like the will of God, Versus just rich, richness and prosperity. Is that where we leave Jesus? Or can we go beyond and say, Jesus, I want for me whatever you want for me. Peter, at least, saw Jesus as the bread of life. Jesus gave us, this is the where it ends, this story. He gave us one last example of the physical causing problems for the spiritual. Even though Jesus had 12 disciples, there was one who would betray and abandon Jesus Judas, one of the twelve, had been with Jesus, at least by the time Jesus died, by, for three years by that point. But he was willing to betray Jesus for what? Thirty pieces of silver. Three years of walking and listening and seeing Jesus' miracles, and all it took for Judas to abandon and betray Jesus was thirty pieces of silver. And Jesus is looking into the future at this moment going, one of you is going to abandon and betray me for physical blessings. What a shame. What a shame. But how telling of this world that we live in. Are we more concerned with Jesus satisfying our earthly lives, or have we finally grasped that God's will is everything we need, everything we want now and forever? Do we want heaven for eternity or do we want it now on this cursed earth temporarily? And that's a question even for my own soul. The application very quickly is just a restating of our goals. Can you see Jesus as the bread of life? Can you look beyond the physical realm? Sadly, there are many who claim to believe in Jesus but are so ensconced in physical things. We're chasing earthly treasures, earthly memories, earthly happiness, earthly health, earthly security while neglecting the things of God. And sadly, unfortunately, we're more like Judas than the other 11 disciples wanting 30 pieces of silver more than eternal life with our Lord. If we're spiritually malnourished, it reveals our lack of belief in the true Jesus. Today, can we look beyond the physical? 
Can we look beyond physical blessings and see something greater, something spiritual, something eternal that Jesus came to give us? Christ wants better things for all of us. Application number two, to see Jesus as the bread of life. When we do, we will feed on him daily in order to nourish our souls. And I'll say it this way, even at the cost of losing physical joy, physical treasures, physical relationships, even physical sleep and health, because the spiritual far surpasses the physical. Have you ever done that? Have you ever given up something physical, something good, in order to receive something spiritual? You will if you understand Jesus. If you understand he's the bread of life, you would willingly give up a meal for him or sleep for him or a relationship if it meant that you could follow him better because the spiritual life far surpasses the physical life. And application number three. If Jesus is our bread of life, then we must invest in Jesus by loving him and obeying his commandment to love one another. Love is costly. It is. In the physical realm, love will cost you something. But consider not loving Jesus. Consider the cost of not loving Jesus. That would be eternally, spiritually tragic. Is it worth it to love for Jesus' sake? Is it worth it to love him and obey him for the sake of our own soul? In our Bread of Life luncheon that is following here after we pray, I want us to be thankful to the Lord for earthly blessings. We're not poo-pooing earthly blessings today. We're not poo-pooing things that God gives us in the physical realm. But I want us to eat of the bread today. I want us to eat of the food today. And I want it to represent something greater in our soul. God, I don't just want the meal. I don't just want the bread. I want the bread of life. I want you, Jesus. And I want this to remind us today of what is most important. That if, it, if, there's, if there's anything, excuse me, that needs to change in our lives so that we can be more nourished by Jesus, then that is what we would take care of today before the day's end. Jesus, what do I need to do to be more nourished by you? Four times in the passage, Jesus says this phrase, and I will raise him up on the last day. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what I want? Jesus promised four times in this passage, if you eat of the bread of life, if he is your life, if he is your salvation, I personally will raise you up on the last day. For those who live by the bread of life, Jesus himself will bring you into his eternal kingdom because that's exactly why he came. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the bread of life. What else is to say except thank you for Jesus this is a hard passage. It's a long passage. It's a passage that takes some thought and consideration and some thinking. But when we consider what Jesus came to give us, Father, we are so thankful that you didn't just come to give us more physical blessings. You came to give us something greater. Help us to see Jesus as the bread of life today. Help us as we even eat today to be reminded of our greatest need, to be nourished and sustained by our Lord by striving to know him more and obey him more because of all that he's given us. Father, glorify yourself today. We thank you for this church and the opportunity to listen to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.